Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text, a weekly podcast where a couple seminary profs uh, geek out prayerfully and playfully on the lectionary text for the upcoming Sunday and then swap some sermon ideas um, that you're free to use uh, for your own edification as well as for your preparation if you're a lectionary preacher or just a preacher who might be engaging in texts or themes that relate. We hope that this might be uh, useful uh, for you and enjoyable for all. Um, I'm your host, uh, John Drury. My uh, most regular guest slash co-host, Aaron Perry, is back on this week. We're picking up where we left off from last week, and we hope that you will uh, enjoy it too. Make sure to stick around for some uh, shout outs and some um, plugs uh, towards the end, Uh, but we hope that you'll uh, enjoy. Yeah, so... Here goes. I'm opening up uh, the lectionary for uh, this week. So it's uh, year C, um, and we're in the post-Epiphany season, uh, and we're looking at the seventh Sunday after the Epiphany. So that would be uh, February 24th, 2019. And we're going to be looking at uh, the gospel according to St. Luke and chapter six, picking up right where we left off from last week. So chapter six, starting with verse 27 and going through verse 38. So that's Luke chapter six, uh, verse 27 through uh, 38. Sound good? Sure. You got that handy? Yeah. Awesome. Do you, would you mind reading? So uh, what if I said no? Just try it. Let's see what happens. No, I'm not going to read. Awesome. All right. I'm read then. Um, I'm going to go from. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> what happens if I say no? <laughs> we tested it. We tested it. We found out. <laughs> we, we, we didn't know. The answer to that. I knew it all along that I would have said, okay, and I would read. Um, yeah, okay. So I'll read off. I'll, I'll use the, uh, this is the NRSV, um, just right on the Vanderbilt uh, lectionary website that I usually use. You just click on it and it has all the verse, all the, the texts right there. Um, so I'll just begin with verse 27. And Jesus continued to say, but I say to you that listen. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you, and if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. 
If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks for these words spoken by your living word and son, Jesus Christ. And we ask now for the grace of illumination that we may, by your spirit, be enabled to see and be moved and led to what it is you have to say to us today, what it is you have to say to those who are listening to this recording, and what it is that all of us might have to say uh, to the church and to the world on your behalf. Lord, grant us this grace through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Can I start with a confession, John? Confess. I was really tempted to look up a sermon I've preached on this passage before to kind of get get my insights. Yeah. And... And I was like, no, that, that's not the point, right? The point is to, is to come at this as a fresh text. It's a new week of preaching. And as I just reflected on that for a moment, I was like, I, don't, I think at some point, if I was really prepping to preach this, of course I would go back and see how I preached it before and see what illustrations and whatever else I, mm-hmm. I had with it. But not to jump to that too fast because so much time has passed between uh, when I last preached it and now, right? It's a new day. There's a, there's a new word to the church. There's a new word to the world that God would say, I think, through the sermon, even if it might be flavored with what he had said to us before and what he had said to me before in preaching it. And uh, so I just needed to confess that, right? Put, put that out there. Let, let, uh, let you know. Yeah, no, that's, that's good. I, I mean, I think that applies not only to our own sermons, but I mean, I, mean, I want to be careful how I say this, but I mean, I think that same principle applies even to consulting commentaries and reading other people's sermons. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's not that you don't do it. It's the timing matters. You know, timing there's something matters. about opening a text and just playing with what you see first. Yep. yep. And then with some emerging direction, 
then you be then you consult. That's the next step. You know, you consult what experts have said. You consult what you have said in the past. You know that there, but there's a the uh, so it's not about having no outside influence. It's or inputs. It's about the timing, the timing of the input. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's funny, man. Well, yeah, a, a very specific sermon came to mind from a specific time. Oh, it did because I yeah. I remember what 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 sprung to mind. I preached this in my first church, and um, the the phrase uh, "To him who strikes you on the one cheek, turn the other also." If anyone gives you your cloak, give him your tunic. Uh, if anyone asks of you uh, to carry it two miles, or um, is that? Oh, that might be a different passage uh yeah, yeah it takes away good do not ask for them back right mm-hmm. uh, i think it's a methian methian version but uh when i finally realized how subversive those actions really were hmm. i was like oh my goodness jesus is a pretty wise guy like he, hmm. he has a lot of wisdom i mean like you're like duh like it, after you go through college you go through seminary you grow up in the church and it finally strikes you that um if you put somebody in a position of telling them that you you play by a different set of rules and that if they want to play that they have to adjust to your rules or else you're not going to keep abiding by their rules. Right. As, especially with the, with the honor shame codes and striking, striking one, one cheek and refusing to engage in that kind of, in that kind of way of living. I was like, man, Jesus is really wise. And, and studying this passage finally brought that out for me in a, in a brand new way that I hadn't, I hadn't grasped uh, before that. Yeah, the subversion of of not uh, playing according to the rules that someone is drawing you into. So someone's trying to oppress you and leverage their power over you, and the the power that is found in not. I mean, there's the kind of there's the tit for tat power of pushing yeah. back, and then there's the more subversive power of operating by a whole different standard that kind of then you know. Uh, can disarm and disorient um, the person, even if they continue to oppress, like, you know, they at least haven't drawn you into it. Right. Um, yeah. Oh, I re- man, yeah. I remember I, I was reading, so this is just to share some of our reflections on it. And this is why you can't like, you can't always start fresh, but you do so at least aware that right. you're familiar with the passage. Uh, man, I saw, I saw this illustrated so well that there was a person who had uh, painted for a living. They were an artist and they struggled, they struggled at it, right? They, they really struggled to make ends meet. And they had, um, I'll call them a friend. I, I can't remember if that was the word that, that the person who told the story was using, but they had a friend who would uh, introduce them to other uh, potential buyers. And this friend was actually a broker. And so like they, they would introduce them to buyers of, of paintings and, and uh, try and arrange some sales, which on the, the outside is kind of like, well, that's, that's a nice thing, right? To help your artist friend make a living is to help, help with their, their work. But the, the problem was, uh, I think the detail was that the broker actually charged quite exorbitant fees. Hmm. And, and the friend had tried to tell them like, you know, I can't really afford that. I'm asking you, I'm going to have to do my own brokering work. And, uh, and the friend kind of did not take the cease and desist message at all. And so they kept still trying to broker it, broker these deals. And so finally, whenever, uh, the broker brought a, a buyer to the artist, the, uh, the buyer found one that they liked and the artist said to them, Oh, you like that one? Like, yeah, I really like that one. He's like, uh, it's yours. You can have it for free. <laughs> and so, so he gave, gave away the painting uh, but of course the broker made no money on it. And like, that was finally the way huh. that it, it got through to them 
this is I have to play by a different game kind of thing. And I'm missing some details, but that that sense of of operating in in giving giving it away totally shifted the value of the of the painting for the broker, right? Were they going to do this as a friend or were they going to do this in a way that kind of kept the the artist kind of struggling, uh, I guess. I'm missing some of the details, but the point of it really stuck out to me with some of these encouragements from Jesus, these teachings of Jesus here uh, to turn the other, to turn the other cheek, right? Not to abide in the same level of, uh, of offense, right? What is, what is meant to offend and to provoke? I'm not going to play by that rule. I'm not going to play, play by that game. Um, If you want to sue me and take away, um, take away my cloak, well, I'm going to give you my tunic as well, which uh, breaks an old Testament law, right? To be uh, going above and beyond. And so this, this way of, putting the the person who's who's offending into a position that either they're going to break an old testament rule or they're going to hmm. uh cut out the the oppression and kind of be be put into this awkward place of trying to give back to somebody that they're trying to oppress um i thought it was a really interesting illustration of of what subversive living can actually do yeah subversive living was that was a nice phrase yeah nice turn of phrase i was drawn to uh a handful of things. I mean, so there's the subversiveness of these instructions, right? And, and as you say, I mean, there's the specifics and this can just be a law that binds rather than, you know, a law that, that gives life. If we just think of like the exact thing, Oh, I have to do this when this happens. Right. But to kind of see the subversive theme, you know, it it is clearly about living creatively. Right. Hmm. Um, And, there would be a whole series of situations that wouldn't perfectly match these that would be analogous though. Right. But then there's these general statements that are kind of hidden in it. Like verse 31 do to others as you would have them do to you. Right. The kind of mm-hmm. famous uh, mm-hmm. golden rule. And, and I, I don't know about you, but like, as I was hearing you talk and, and was thinking about this subversive actions, cause I, th- I believe they are, we usually hear that golden rule kind of pulled from its context, right? And out of context, that sounds like really nice. Like, obviously, you would just do, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, do nice stuff, you know, be nice, right? Is, is what the golden rule is, gets reduced to. The context of this passage, though, it kind of, uh, and for some reason, my voice just cracked there, but um, this passage, uh, <laughs> It, 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 it's not exactly like it's, it's not doing to others as you would have them do to you. It's not exactly like, Oh, just like what would be the kind of like obvious, nice thing to do. It actually is like, you may actually be giving someone something they don't like consciously want or desire because they might themselves be trapped in the old system. Right. You know, do to others as you would have them do to you in the context of all of these examples, like, like offering the coat, you know, offering the shirt when they took your coat, right? It's not like I sit around thinking like, oh, I wish someone would do that for me, right? It's not about the conscious desires of other people, right? It's, it's a deeper level. It's what, what would you really want? Well, you'd want everyone to be able to follow a sort of uh, follow a, a kingdom ethic and, and have a kind of freedom where we live generously with each other, right? Um, and giving that gift can be jarring, you know what I mean? Like to be generous is to put sometimes people in an awkward position. It's not always easy and rewarded, you know, 
to follow the golden rule as Jesus presents it. Is that making sense? What I'm trying to get at? Yeah, I, I think so. It's like what it is the person who's given these teachings from Jesus would want is not necessarily what the other person would want in the moment. Yeah, yeah, there it is. That was shorter. <laughs> yeah, and that's uh, that's kind of strange, you know. Um, his examples of golden rule living are, um, yeah, disorienting. Uh, they invite they invite another to a different way of life, you know. Yeah, which makes it so important um, that whenever we think about um, doing to others as we would have them do to you is not doing to others what they would have us do to them, Mm. (laughs) right? You know, there's a presumption that Jesus is actually giving wisdom here. His listeners will internalize it, will live a different kind of way, and have the courage to enact those convictions, even if it's disorienting, confusing, maybe offensive in different ways mm-hmm. to those that they would be acting upon. Yeah. Cause these, the, the, he doesn't offer a lot of promises about how this is going to play out. He does towards the end, but it's not like people might respond differently. Like it's not a given that everyone's going to like this. You know what mm. I mean? Um, um, this could create, you know, controversy or conflict. It, it doesn't automatically just like make everything uh, smoother. Yeah. I love that you just use that word wisdom again. And you used it earlier when you're talking about how you finally realized that Jesus was uh, wise. (laughs) Mm. I think it's important to see this as wisdom teaching. I think there's something there. In other words, and and, and in some ways I'm mentioning like even in the sense of genre, these are these little sayings, right? A kind of series of little sayings that have thematic connection, but it's not a, it's not an argument that's flowing like Paul's you know, letter to the Romans or something where there's a kind of chain of argumentation from one thought to another. It's a series of statements that could be chewed on um, that lead you to a, a sort of different way of living. They describe a kind of particular character they, they put into speech, a way of life. Um, and that way of life is its own justification. The The language is not what justifies it because, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't do a lot of defending and explaining. There's some hints you know, what credit is that to you? But I mean, it's just a question, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's a way of sort of seeing the world like, Hey, well, you know, even sinners are going to do favors just to get a favor back. What happens when you start to, you know, just do the favor with nothing expected in return. And it also helps me think in terms of like the, you know, the, not just the genre in the sense of as literature, but the genre in the sense of what it connects up with in the Bible, uh, because, you know, th- these are imperatives, and so we could think of them as Torah, right, as Pentateuch, as law, right, as, a, as Jesus' new law. Um, but I wonder if it helps to think of them as wisdom, right? This is, this is, these are proverbs of Jesus, right? <laughs> um, it's him saying, and to think less absolutely about them, not to get us off the hook, but I mean, you know, proverbs are about pointing uh, a way of life, not as sort of absolute prohibitions and instructions, you know, but as a different way of living, you know, a better way of living. I don't know if, it, if that resonates with you or not. Um, well, I was trying to think about it. It's interesting in the, it's the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew that Jesus then goes into contrasting the wise and the foolish builders. Mm. Like that's, the, that's the end of the Sermon on the Mount. That's right. And I, and I was trying to see ahead. Uh, is that in Luke, right? Does Luke have an equivalent of that, of that anywhere? And is it in this context? 
because if this is elements of wisdom, then the necessary contrast is that Jesus is pulling us out of foolishness. He's pulling us out mm. of folly. And that's a real disregarded category that, uh, um, that scripture is prevalent to use, right? Of folly and foolishness. Um, we don't use it as often. We don't use it as much. Mm-hmm. And yet, if, if wisdom really is being taught to us here, then there's a way in which this kind of um, quid pro quo of uh, lending to those who will get, who will lend it back, right? The sinners do this, loving those who love you, that, that there's, there's a foolishness to that. And there's yeah. a wisdom, there's a wisdom to uh, loving those who, who don't love you and, and forgiving those, even if they might not desire to be forgiven as the, as the passage will go on. Um, not judging even in context where we would really like to judge. There's a wisdom to that um, that isn't, isn't complex, right, in terms of, its, in terms of the, the idea itself, but it, it can be complex to know how to live it out. And uh, even in saying that, I'm like, I'm trying to be wiser than what the wisdom of Jesus is right here. I'm trying, yeah. to, I'm trying to make it, make it more complex and then, and then kind of have my own wisdom that cuts through it. But there's a real wisdom. There's a foolishness that he's calling us out of, which so often feels wise. Yeah, no, that's, that's good, though, because, I mean, it makes me think of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, right? Um, God elects the, the foolish things of this world to shame the wise of this world, right? And there's, or, or James, uh, James chapter three, that talks about worldly wisdom versus heavenly wisdom. So you can think there's, cause like the idea that you, you know, if you lend to people, you're more likely for them. If, you know, if you're generous, you're more likely to then receive generosity from others. That's true about the world. And there, there's at least an element of truth in that. And there's a certain kind of practical earthly wisdom. And he's trying to say that like, okay, yeah, but there's a deeper wisdom that kind of makes that everyday wisdom actually turn out to be foolish because they're, if you become, you know, wise on this other level, maybe, is this making sense? You know, so I, I think you're right that there is something paradoxical, paradoxical about calling this seemingly very impractical advice, uh, <laughs> wise, you know, uh, it's a deeper kind of wisdom. Um, I don't know if that, resonates with you or not. I'm just going through the rest of this passage and, and it finishes up with not contrasting wise and foolish as Matthew does, but it uses the same illustration and it contrasts it with, with Lordship. Uh, so Jesus is kind of putting this to the, the, the test and he says, why do you call me Lord and not do the things which I say? Yeah. Uh, and then he goes on, he's, uh, this person is like a man building a house who dug a deep, yep. uh, dug deep and laid the foundation. Uh, and the person who doesn't, that uh, is the one who builds his house in the sand. It's like, it's like following through on the wisdom, the teachings that Jesus has given here is a sign of his lordship. Yep. And uh, that in itself is a, has, has communal implications, right? There's, there's a way that, that this wisdom gets lived out with those people who are, are standing and, and milling around and that are gathering around Jesus. Um, you know, I, I'm thinking about, I'm just thinking about what it would have been like to be in this crowd of undoubtedly people who are strange to you, people that you are different than, uh, people that are not ones to whom uh, pearls of great price would be normally entrusted from great teachers. And Jesus is giving them such wise teaching. 
and inviting them, this, this challenge to lordship, inviting them into, if they put these into practice, then they are affirmed as ones who confess him as Lord. And, and automatically, yeah. his stature is given to them, right? So I, I often think about, I often sometimes hear these challenges of Jesus to be um, like from Jesus to those who are powerful, which of course he does from time to time. Um, and it, and it's like, who, who are you going to serve? Like me with a whole bunch of, of self ability to be self-determined, at least, at least a, a sense of being self-determining. Right. And, and I've got social mobility and I can, I can, you know, I've got, I've got different resources and it's like, there's a difference in hearing Jesus challenge me with, are you going to put these into practice and thereby declare me as Lord hmm. versus somebody who doesn't have these same resources and mm-hmm. is there in desperation and is, is being challenged if you put these into res- if you put these into practice, um, the resources that he has become theirs, right? Not not uh, not excluding his his stature and not excluding his his status, right? There's a way that he's saying this this is the way up for them, and it's it's through him, it's through his teachings, but huh. it's like it's like his status is is now being given to them in as much as they are applying and doing what it the wisdom that he has given them to do. Yeah. That status language clicks with verse 35 for me, right? Where he says, your reward will be great and you will be children of the most high, right? You'll be children like me um, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. It's like, you know, God is the one being who by definition, when giving it is impossible for God to get something back, right? Like better than he already has. Cause mm-hmm. everything that can be given back to God always came from God in the first place. Right. Yeah. So yeah. God's just not, I, I know that was being maybe too philosophical, but I mean, it's, it's, it's sort of an ontological impossibility for God to uh, sort of be, be, be caught up in an, in an economy of tit for tat, right? Yeah. God's just yeah. by definition, uh, transcends that game. Mm-hmm. And so to live, to, 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 to find oneself transcending that game is to be like God, mm. right? And not in the, 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 the prideful kind of way that we have to be weary of, uh, a la, you know, Genesis 3 and stuff like that. But, um, but in the best sense, right? Uh, that one, one begins to take after God when one gives expecting nothing in return, when one is kind to even the ungrateful and the wicked, uh, you know, because God, you know, has the rain, which is a good thing in an agrarian society, the rain falls on both the just and the unjust, uh, which is a phrase that doesn't appear here, but appears in, in Matthew where it says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And in that context, it means just what it means here. Be merciful, be give, to everyone, not just yeah. those who can give back to you. Um, yeah. And in that you are finding yourself transcending um, the game that puts you at a lower status, right? It's kind of like the wisdom of extravagance, hmm. you know, God. And I think about God from Luke 15, the, the, the father who is, hmm. uh, I mean, it's, it's from uh, Will Williman says this one time from Luke 15, he said, he said, we're in search of a party. Both, both brothers, the older son and the younger son, are in search of a party. Um, 
but the father really knows how to throw a party. Huh. And that, that sense of extravagance, I'm, I'm reading that through this passage here, like God being extravagant in his love, God being extravagant with his mercy, uh, God being extravagant uh, as this passage fi- uh, finishes up, give, it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running mm-hmm. over, right? That's the, uh, the extravagance of God is the sense of wisdom. And again, I'm thinking about this in terms of folly. It's like abiding by these rules brings one out of the petty games. Right. And we only see them as petty games whenever we're not in them. When we're in these, I mean, I oh, think it was, was so important. Oh, yeah. I think about this when I'm in high school. And when I was in high school, I mean, like the games of high school really mattered when you're in high school. And then when you leave it, you're like, oh, my goodness, those games were yeah. so stupid. Like, but in that, in the, and that's why it takes this, this total like shift of context, right? It takes this shift of community that to see a new game and to see a new reality and, and, you know, when I'm, when I'm getting fired, I'm getting fired up now, right? So I heard. When, I, when I get fired up, I'm like, okay, now, now the Luke and Jesus as this fired up prophet and teacher makes sense to me because he's like, man, I've, he's got such a vision for them if they would only catch it. Yeah. Yeah. And hence even the stakes from last week's text of, you know, the rich and the, you know, cause the rich and the poor, I mean, there's, there's a sense in which he knows that. Um, the poor are desperate and might be willing to try this crazy <laughs> plan. Yes. Yes. And the richer we are, the harder it is for us to um, to step outside of our games because it's so easy for me to defend the stuff that I take seriously because, oh, well, my livelihood's at stake. You know, I got to feed my family and in order to feed my family, I got to do my job. And in order to do my job well, I got to, uh, you know, ha- have a you know, power and influence and, and hence sometimes the petty games. Yeah, no, well, we're moving in a homiletical direction. I can read. Well, and of, of yeah. course for, for power and influence, that's why you do a podcast. Yeah, of course. That's the only reason. <laughs> you know, no, no, no. I, I do podcasts for money. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking back. I'm thinking back to my high school illustration. I think I'm, I got an actual thought now. I'm thinking back okay. to my high school illustration and it's like there's some people that, that play the game because they are winners in the game. And there's some people who play the game because they aspire to be winners in the game. And then there's other people who at some point along the way they just realized, I'm never going to win at that game. I'm going to play a different one. Yeah. And, and like they, they seem to enjoy high school a whole yeah. lot more than I did. Yep. Yep. And I'm, I'm thinking about this here. I mean, from other passages, right? The people that are, are coming to him. Um, uh, last week we talked about presumably poor and, and different challenges. And it's like, maybe they are, like you said, they are ripe to listen to a new, for a new game to play with, but it's not one that's easier to play. I mean, the whole point of, right. uh, if someone strikes you on one cheek offer the other, also, if someone takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic. It's not an easier game to no, play. No, it's going to be really hard, like really, really hard. But there's a sense of, of, him affirming their dignity in playing another game, that they are so dignified that they, that they can play another game. And, and then I can hear, you know, the Jesus who is, has this shepherding heart in, in Luke's gospel as well, like this, this fierceness and yet this shepherding that are, are both so present um, that he's like, I've got a different game for you to be a part of that is good. 
and I believe that you can do it, right? I believe that you can enter into it, you know, and, and hence the, the challenges of last week with the blessings and the woes, right? The intensity of last week to call them into this game, which is for their good, to experience the wisdom of extravagance. Yeah, that's, man, that's awesome. You're, you're cooking, man. Um, let's, uh, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, let's start narrowing in on where we might go in terms of how this might take a more um, sermon-like shape. All right. back uh welcome back to fresh texts um when our usual uh routine we make sure to focus in in the back half a little bit on where we might go with this uh in a sermon form already started moving in that direction in in a good way before the break so um aaron if you're willing what's your winkle did you in the break there did you kind of have a moment to kind of okay where's the theme? Where's the, where's the focus? Where, where would I go with kind of bringing all of this together and running somewhere with it? I I think I'd really try to wrestle around. It's not, it's not quite finalized, but, but that phrase of uh, the wisdom of extravagance, there's something there that, that I would like to to tap into. Um, I think that there would be ways that, that, there's ways that the people in the congregation that are just caught in the, in the rat race, right. That, that that's subversive. There's ways that people in the congregation that would love to get caught in the rat race because they're not part of it yet. Uh, and mm. want to be part of it, that it would be both subversive, but also affirming of both people, um, both, mm. both groups of people or multiple groups of people. And I think that, I think that there's something there that's convicting me that um, because I can, I can get into the, I can sort through the, the layers of wisdom, right? And, and have like, okay, worldly wisdom, which is not very wise, Jesus's wisdom, which is better. And then my wisdom, which kind of has to like put those together so that I can, I can apply, you know, the pretty wise stuff that Jesus says into a much more complicated world, which is my own, you know, saying all that sarcastically, of course, (laughs) something there that's, that would be convicting of me that how do I actually take Jesus's words here as wisdom that, that mm. he really knows what he's saying and and how does that affirm out how can i how can i enter into that to receive the status of one who was under his lordship there's there's something in there that is is speaking to me and convicting me that i, I would like to keep exploring as i preached it yeah the the wisdom of extravagance yeah the extravagant extravagance of god that generates a different kind of wisdom, a different way of living. Oh, I love it. It's beautiful. I must admit there was like, there was more than a, there was a more than a few seconds when I didn't catch your sarcasm. I'm like, dude, really? Like your was, you're like, <laughs> I was just confused. Like it was just, I'm, I'm, it's, we're like the, we're like the perfect worst pair because like you are such a straight man and just speak with totally straight face, straight voice tone. And I'm just like, so dang literal as a person, you know what I mean? So I'm just like, I'm just tracking your words. And I'm like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> you know, ho- hopefully there's no, a way. I know exactly what you mean. No, I get it. Yeah. And hopefully there's a way that that kind of is like, is that's jarring to me right now. It's like, man, like just 
you know, as I think back about my own way of applying the words of Jesus is I'm like, oh my goodness, I, I do that more than I realize. Yeah. Like I'm saying that sarcastically that I should never do that. And I should never do that, but man, I do it. No, that you sarcasm's know. meant to be, uh, you know, it's a uh, meant to be prophetic and, and itself sagacious wise. I mean, some wisdom literature is written in more with, with a more ironic tone, you know, Proverbs mm-hmm. not right. But, uh, but Ecclesiastes, Job, you know, plays with some more iron, um, end of, of, you know, of wisdom. So <laughs> there's a yeah. certain kind of wisdom in realizing that, man, I spend a lot of time trying to juggle, the wisdom of the rat, way, rat race, but the wisdom of total allegiance to Jesus. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's why my life is complicated. Do you know what I mean? Oh, um, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, and I often find that, that the life that Jesus invites us to is not easy, but it is simple. Um, it's only complicated when we try to water it down. That's actually what makes it more complicated, which is what most preaching on Jesus teaching does is it seems really radical. And so we try to shave it and make it less radical and ironically often make it more complicated. Um, mm-hmm. cause there's mm-hmm. actually a kind of a simplicity here. Mm-hmm. Treat others the way God treats you. Right. I mean, it's kind of like pretty straightforward. I mean, that is not easy at all. Um, that's a radical conversion, but it, but there is a certain simplicity to it. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and yeah. Yeah. You're, you're not a good sermon, man. I'm jazzed. I, I like where that goes. I'd love, I'd love to, I'd love for you to get out that other sermon, maybe even now, if you want, uh, just to see the contrast and connection. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But you're right. Like, like you said earlier, like you may end up finding a great illustration, you know, that works still, you know, right. Story that, that still just really works. Um, um, yeah. Or great line. I, I, I like what you said. Um, there's, there's a certain simplicity to it. And uh, my wife and I right now are watching the, the show Designated Survivor on Netflix. And one of the things that sets this, this president apart is that he's play, uh, one of the characters says he plays no angles. Ah. And so so he, he gives this fellow a list of his terms and conditions to come and work, uh, do this, this legal work for him. And uh, it's a blank sheet of paper. Because he's like, I have, I have no terms and conditions. Just, just follow the evidence where it leads and, and represent, <laughs> represent the truth to the best of your ability. Right. That's, that's the whole thing. He's, he's like presented. And I'm like, there's, there's a certain, uh, there's a certain simplicity to this that is so freeing that we don't have to play the angles. Like I don't have to get into another person's head about like, what do they want? What do I want them to want? What, uh, how do I respond to, to their reaction to the gift? It's like, that's Jesus right. is like, no, like, like cut through that. What's God's vision for you? Yeah. And how do you enact that for others? And then there's a certain amount of just letting the chips fall where they, where they do, right? right? It's it's not being flippant. There's a difference between Jesus's um, intensity and being flippant. He's not flippant, but he is intense. Yeah. It's freeing um, and freedom and simplicity are connected. I mean, Mm. Richard Foster even has a book called the freedom of simplicity. And like, like when I, when you were talking earlier about how not easy this would be, how hard it would be, what makes it hard is it, it doesn't take away the fact that it's liberating, right? It's, it's freeing. It's freeing to not submit to the rat race as you put it. Um, and yeah, but that, but, but, you know, liberation is hard. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, what makes it, 
what makes it seem complicated is uh, our bondage, right? It's like, yeah. well, no, I still want to nav- I, w- I still want to get the benefit of bondage to earthly wisdom. Yeah, yeah, and 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 that's why I think he ends with these promises here, because I mean, there 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 is a surface contradiction, of course. Uh, I, I think your theme of extravagance helps to to. Um, massage that a little bit but on the surface there is this kind of contradiction where he's like don't do stuff get expecting get anything in return and then the last couple of verses because your war- reward will be great and, it, and then it kind of you're like well are we doing it in order to get a benefit from god and well of course it's a big difference because of course he's made it clear that god is uh is, is inclined to give it either way uh <laughs> mm. um so uh there that already shifts it a bit with the extravagance that you're kind of talking about. But, uh, but I think that that service contradiction is, is, is it begins to be resolved when we start to see that this is an invitation to being liberated from the game of keeping score. Um, yeah. But because that's very hard, I think Jesus, this is the pastoral side. He offers a promise, right? Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's like he's, you know, it says to, to, to Peter in another famous scene, right? After he says, we've left every, he's like, you know, whoever's left thing, you know, whatever they've left for me, you'll receive a hundredfold back. And again, it's not, you don't follow me in order to get the hundredfold. Um, but he offers these promises, right? He says, you, you know, your father's going to take care of you, right? He's not going to leave you hanging. He's going to take care of you. And it's going to be way better than the little crumbs that you come up with by playing your petty games. Um, and there's, but that doesn't make it, I'm not saying it's going to be easy and it's not going to be right away. Um, <laughs> and it might get harder before it gets easier, but, uh, but uh, nevertheless, th- there's a promise there, you know, that's being offered. And I think that helps to, 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 I love that. Yeah. I love, I love reading that as, as the pastoral tone. And, and I think there's also part of this, that it, it's character formation, that it's the person who has applied and it lives out this wisdom that's able to understand God's work in giving, pressing down, shaking together and running over. It, it's amazing to me. I mean, and, and thinking about this as a pastor, people in my church that I was like, if I had their life, I would be bitter towards God. And yet they're not. <laughs> yeah. They are full of joy. They see God as an extravagant God who gives and gives and gives again, mm-hmm. that, that God is better to them than they, than they deserve. And, and they inspire me, right? Like, I'm like, man, give, I want that life, right? I want to, I want to go in that direction. I'm going to, you know, I have the responsibility to shepherd them and, and do, you know, want to do that. But, but, you know, the wisdom of God like, oh man, he, he's shepherding me through them too. You know, um, there's, there's a part of that. I think about my dad and I, and I cannot get away from this passage of thinking about my dad because this, this was one of his favorite verses, uh, give, it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running mm-hmm. over. And, and my dad was a super generous man. He mm-hmm. was abundantly generous and I've never met anybody who, actually thought he he had and owned more than my dad did like like not only not only was he generous but he was like he he knew he had a lot you know <laughs> like he knew he was abundantly mm. rich and you could you could never talk to talk him out of that and and the truth is i mean he he was i see how this i see how this formed a character in him of being generous and seeing that god was generous to him all wrapped up into one yeah that's so good man that's so good I love it. I love it. How about you? What what else strikes you that that you might uh, grab onto as a winkle in this sermon in this passage? Yeah, I mean my my 
my winkles, it's all around 35. It's all around verse 35. So, I mean, I would kind of steal everything I liked about what you were saying, but like, (laughs) but like the kind of my in again, it might not be the starting point of the sermon. The the way I often work is I, I, I often continue to play with a text and a set of ideas and images and stories and language. I often even just play with certain words until I kind of find a really intense focus that might just be a statement or even a phrase, you know, a phrase mm-hmm. or sentence, you know, but there's something in 35 that's just grabbing me. And conceptually it's connected to that stuff I was saying earlier about the, uh, again, this, this phrase would very likely not appear in a sermon, but the, the spirit of it would, the, the sort of the, 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 uh, the, you know, the infinity of God, right? The, 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 the yeah. impossibility of God, the ontological impossibility of God um, engaging in this economy of, of, of scarcity, you know, um, and this picture of becoming sons of God. And it's so funny. Like I, I'm very inclined towards uh, inclusive translations. There are some cases, however, where like when the, original uses sons rather than children. It's not always irrelevant because it does kind of yes. a likeness. Yep. So, um, so I'm actually more comfortable with picturing God as female and calling us daughters than just becoming generic with children, yep. you know, yep. because the point is the, the, the likeness, right? Uh, you have your father's eyes kind of thing, right? That's what's being pictured here. And he's, and Jesus is the son of God and we will be sons of God. We will be like God. Um, again, it's not about the gender. It's about the, 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 the correspondence. So this picture of lend expecting nothing in return. And and I know it clicks with me and I know, I I know there would be personal stories that would emerge naturally if I spent a week with this text, you know, in preparation for a sermon, because like people will sometimes experience me as generous. Um, but it's a, it's a game. It's not a game. It's a, it's a facade. Because like, like I'll buy a book for somebody, but it's because I don't want to lend them my book. <laughs> right? Like, I, so like even my generosity is often strategically designed to not let them have my stuff. And, you know, anyone who's lived with me and my family all know, like they make fun of me for all my pens and how I don't like sharing my pens. And, um, so I don't want to be out of pens when it's time. I'm such a geek, but anyway, um, but something this idea that you would lend something and expect someone to not give it back to you, you know, because, and it's, and it's, again, it's, it's easy for me to, to easy is the wrong word, but provided the finances are doing okay, it's easy for me to buy things for people. I love buying people a meal. I love buying a gift. No problem. Right. Um, I love saying, put it all on me when we're out to dinner, right? And I'll admit, sometimes it's because there's no credit to me because I like the honor that comes with that, you know? Um, But like some people, they don't want me to just give them the thing. They want to borrow it and they are intending to give it back, you know? And what does it mean for me to actually lend to someone and actually not expect it to make its way back to me, you know? Mm. Like- and how much resentment do I carry um, mm-hmm. in relationships? Everything from acquaintances and neighbors to deep close friends where 
they borrow something and haven't given it back yet. And I can't get that out of my head. And mm-hmm. I don't think I'm the only one who suffers from that. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe not everyone. I mean, my dad likes to say that, you know, about that, you should give at least 50% of your audience every week a pass, just not the same 50% every week. Right. Um, so yeah, <laughs> like a good, you, you got to give a bye week to half your, half your congregation. Uh, in other words, and part of the point is have a focused sermon, you know, focus yeah. in yeah. and it's okay. Some people, it's not going to be super convicting for them, but the people that are, you know, speak specifically to that. And I feel like the sin of avarice and, the being the a journey of liberation from that in this picture this is the part where that i'm kind of stealing from your winkle which is the picture of god who who just by definition gives without expecting anything in return because in a principle everything we have is borrowed from him and yet he's not sort of like counting the days till he gets it back he wants us to enjoy it you know, and that different vision of who God is and what it means to be like, become like God um, through Jesus Christ, um, to find creative ways to lend, expecting nothing in return. It's that phrase just is grabbing my heart and my head and my will, and I'm resisting and I'm loving it. And I think that's mm. where I would go is lend, expecting nothing in return. You just get, there's just so many great stories that you could tell around the conflict around borrowing things, you know, like, I mean, (laughs) I mean, I even haven't, you know, I have with two neighbors, we, we own a weed whacker together, the three of us, you know, and it's always like a thing like, well, whose garage do you keep it in? (laughs) Um, uh, just some of us are just possessive. I'm possessive person. So I feel like I could speak with solidarity to fellow sinners, uh, (laughs) about this, about that, that picture, but recognizing at the end of the day, I I cause myself undue suffering by this. It's not actually, you know, I think I'm protecting myself, but actually in my possessiveness, I'm actually possessed by that, which I cling to. So that's where I would go. That's where I would go. Something like that. Can can I just toss a a disconnected thought into this? And and we're, we're playing with the text, right? Is I'm trying to think about this, this word of lend Christologically, mm-hmm. in the the giving, <laughs> the Father's gift of the Son, mm. and and even the shape of of Luke's work, right, which is mm. is uh, culminates in the ascension, right, the return of the of the Son to the Father, mm. and is then reaffirmed in the in the Book of Acts. And I'm like, I'm like, could, could I think about like the gift of the Son mm. to the world as a kind of lending that then God received back? And if there was nothing else that came along with that return of the gift, so you know, to kind of put it in terms in salvation terms, if no one else, if no one took the wisdom of Jesus here, hmm. and and this Lord returned with no subjects, God's joy in giving the Son would not be lessened in the least. It would still be so full, and I and I picture this communication of of the triune God taking such joy in them giving a gift that nobody received, but taking joy in that they had given it and and it had come full circle and 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 being given back, right? Like this this gift that was given is not one that that could ever stay away. It's one that had to return to God. But in so doing, it wasn't that it was any less given, right? It was, it was kind of a, it's kind of this circular lending. I don't know. I'm, I'm playing around with this now, but the, the joy of God 
not being diminished if no one had received this gift or if, if one had never uh, returned the loan, so to speak. Well, I don't know. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. I mean, it's exactly... I mean, often in my sermons, there is often a little Christological twist somewhere in them. You know, um, that's usually when I'm at my best. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, you're an ethicist and I'm a dogmatician, right? So it fits, right? <laughs> um, I do dogmatics. So like when I, you know, when I, when I can like wax uh, poetically about how God has lent us his son expecting nothing in return. I mean, that, there's some cool lines to be mm. written there. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's something poetic to, yeah. to bring home, especially towards the end of the sermon, really bring it home, you know, uh, especially because he talks about us being sons of the most high and then to make a, a nice little twist when you write this. This would be one I'd want to almost manuscript out, you know, to, to at least to get a few of the good lines in it, right? Mm. Um, especially because sons of the, like the most high, that, that's the phrase that's used in chapter one in the, in the, in the enunciation, right? He will be called the son of the yeah. most high, right? Yeah. It's that exact phrase. Um, so to make that little, to, to run with that illusion and play with it, that would be, so no, that was not a random thought at all. That, that plays right into the hand of the way I'd want to craft a sermon like this is because I focused most in what I shared was, was on the kind of the first half of the sermon, which would be all about the vice uh, and the, the liberating virtue would need to paint a picture um, at the heart of which would be God's own gift of his son. And that's right. I like that with the ascension. I hadn't thought of it that way, though, lending and receiving, you know, uh, you know, receiving him back um, without, you know, what, what if there was no interest on this loan, right? Uh, mm-hmm. There's something to play with there. And it fits. I mean, what does this say? Be, you know, because he himself is kind um, upon those who are ungrateful um, and wicked or evil. And acharistus is, is ungracious, ungrateful, and also could mean those who don't give back, right? Because mm-hmm. um, grace in the ancient giving, culture yeah. included the grace of returning something, returning a percentage of a gift um, back to the giver. So this this ungrateful, ungracious, unreceptive, unresponsive is, is what acharistos means, right? So, yeah, I would just really want to camp out on that. And I think that's beautiful. And it made me think of a line um, I jotted down one time that I still haven't, that hasn't found a home in a sermon yet. It's this, it's, you have heard it said <laughs> that it is more blessed, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Um, therefore, God, who um, can only give <laughs> uh, is most blessed of all or something like that. I, 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 have mm. a better, I have a shorter version of it, but God is the most blessed, not because he has the most, although that's true, yeah. but because he gives the most and he gives in such a way that he never needs anything back because when he gives, he loses nothing. Mm. You know, this is the infinity of God, you know? Um, that's kind of, again, the, the sermon would try to be as, as practical as possible and talk in real life terms, but at the heart of it would be a vision of God's aseity, God's infinity, mm-hmm. um, and therefore God's simplicity and freedom, you know, and how that can inspire us to um, imitate, no, not perfectly, um, imitate the heavenly wisdom. Because if he's the one who made the world, then maybe the world does actually operate more according to his infinity than its own finitude, you know? Man, this week was better than last week. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
well, you know, may, maybe that's the wisdom of Luke. Like, you're not supposed yeah, to preach, yeah. preach the whole thing, right? Yeah, so, yeah, we'll defer. We'll defer to uh, the good doctor on his on his own wisdom. No, it praises it praises Luke. Although even this passage isn't done. Um, yeah, that's right. But we'll also respect the the lectionary course that forces us to to camp out on text that we might race past quickly. Yeah. You know, that's right. So, yep. um, there's benefits. Uh, there's wisdom to be seen in every direction here, but. Yeah, so I don't know. You got anything? I, th- I think we're good. We're done, right? Yeah, I feel I'm done. done. Okay. Done. <laughs> you got anything you want to plug? Anything coming up? Uh, this will be landing later in February. So anything coming up in late February or March? You wanna? You wanna? Push? Man, just really excited. Really excited about the D man and uh, and leadership we're doing here at the at Wesley Seminary. I think we are we are trying to access some of this wisdom. I mean, mm. we're trying to to develop posture and and people that are able to see and to use that word both in its, its leadership use that we see reality, but also in its theological use that mm. we're able to see God's reality and, and merging those together. Um, so I think I'm just, I'm pumped about it. I'm really excited about, about the demon. I'm hoping some of our listeners are thinking about applying. If they have any questions, I'd love to talk to them uh, about it. I try, I tend to give uh, a straight answer. I'd rather talk students away from a program before they start than, than have them kind of slunk away after a year. So, you know, mm-hmm. I would be glad to give them as, as straight a discussion on the program as I could. If it's for them, then, then awesome. Uh, I'm excited about it. So if they have questions, love to talk to them. Cool. What's the best way to get hold of you? Uh, e- email aaron.perry at indwest.edu uh, is, is, is the best way uh, to get things started. Aaron.perry at indwest, I-N-D-W-E-S.edu. I think that'd be a great way. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I know for me, I'm, I'm in the helping with the demon and spiritual formation that's already a year in. So I don't have anything to plug there directly in terms of the program. Although I have been shooting some YouTube videos connected to that. There's stuff that's just for them, but there's some stuff that's more generic. Um, so I guess if I were to plug something, it would be um, to just look me up, John L. Drury on, uh, on YouTube and subscribe to my YouTube channel and check it out as well as make sure if you don't already subscribe to fresh text, please do. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, review us on iTunes. If you get a chance, uh, give us a nice uh, score there and write a little review. Um, that definitely, uh, helps it. Uh, it, the logarithm, the iTunes logarithm takes that into account. And so it'll get more people will find out about it. Um, because of course we do that for fame and glory. Um, <laughs> so, so likewise for the Wesley seminary podcast, then of course, yeah, 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 yeah. likewise, <laughs> fame and glory for the Wesley seminary podcast. Please. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, lastly, I just want to give a quick shout out to um, our producer, Eric uh, Fisher, who's been doing been a great job um, with uh, the production. And uh, yeah, he's just making it making it seamless. And, and, and shout out to the new music he added in a few weeks ago uh, and transition music and opening and closing music. Uh, that's a, actually an old recording uh, of our good friend, Tom Adamson, who I want to give a shout out to, too, and actually me on the drum set. So funsies. Um, Okay, Um, I think that'll do. Have a good preach. 